Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 to 18. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, Let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. I I grew up in the Gundawindi district, and there were very few brick buildings in that town. Uh, One of the rare ones was what was known as the McIntyre Club. Uh, And in its operational years, I never got to set foot in the place because I was way too young to be a gentleman. And my dad obviously wasn't a gentleman because he wasn't a member. Um, But it had a bar and a restaurant and pool tables and a ladies lounge and a tennis court out the back. And this brick building from the front, it all looked pretty schmicko, um, pretty swish. But... I actually got to know that building pretty well in later years because when the McIntyre Club went bust, because apparently gentlemen aren't that rich, um, the church that we were in bought it and that became our church. And apart from the very front section, which was newish and brick, uh, the rest of it was nowhere near as flash. It was pretty run down and some of it you may even describe as ramshackle. I think it had started out as an old house and then they'd put some rooms onto the one side of it and then some rooms onto another side of it a bit later and build a flat onto the back and, and then eventually they built the newer front section of it. And of course, everywhere that it joined, you'd have roof lines changing and so given a little bit of time, there'd be leaks in those spots. And, but if you ever got underneath that building, uh, you could see that it really uh, was a bit old. Even so, it was a great building for a church, uh, very functional, uh, but it was nothing like what the front of it portrayed. The face of it, the, very, the appearance was of a modern, solid brick structure, and maybe the front part was, but the rest of it was nothing of the sort. And so that, that front section was sort of like a facade. Uh, if you know what a facade is, the, the facade is that front part of the building which makes it look like a grand and imposing structure. Um, But you get behind the facade and it's probably more likely to be a small, low-ceilinged, dingy building. And so even in country towns, it's quite common for the shops to have a facade. Uh, You've probably noticed in St George, there's not many two-storey houses. Um, But you get into some country towns and they they might build quite a tall facade and it makes it look like it's a two-storey shop, uh, but no, just a one-storey. And some people are like this. 
they try to make a good show of themselves on the outside and they're trying to make themselves appear all very holy, but that's all it is. It's a show. Um, it's an outward appearance and it's not about what's going on in the heart. Now, it's three and a half months now since we began our series on Galatians. And today is the very last day. Um, and as is often the case, uh, Paul finishes off his letter in his own handwriting. It, it was quite common back then to have a scribe to do the writing for you because not that many people could read or write. Uh, Paul could. Paul was quite educated and he could read and write. But even so, it was a common practice that even if you could read and write, you'd get a professional to do it for you because the, the papyrus paper back then was quite expensive. And if you got a professional to do it for you, it'd be neater, it'd be more words on the page, it'd be more legible for the readers. But even so, Paul liked to finish off his letters. It, it gave it a real personal touch, I suppose. But I think it also worked as a bit of an authentication thing. So, look, here, here's my handwriting and people would, would some of them would recognise his writing. But even though that he could write, it was pretty obvious that that wasn't his profession. Uh, he says in verse 11, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Right? Paul's scrawl was much bigger than the professional script. Uh, to me, it sounds like his writing might have been much like mine. And sometimes I think I'm in the wrong profession. I think I should have been a doctor because I'm pretty sure because my writing's so bad, I'd be a fantastic doctor. Now, sometimes when Paul finishes off his letters, the way it seems to me is like he's, he's rushing to try and fit in a whole heap of stuff that he's forgotten. I don't know if you've ever noticed this about some of his letters, but it gets right to near the end and it goes, and it's like he's th thought, oh, I didn't mention such and such. So he'd say a few, few words on that. Oh, I didn't think of such and such. He'd say a few words on that. And oh, I didn't think of such and such. He'd say a few words on that. But that's not the case in this letter. And that actually really stuck out to me. Um, this letter, the ending of it is pretty much a succinct summary of what this letter's been about. So, um, seems as most of us here today are visitors, I'd better give a quick uh, word on what it has been about. Paul has, um, he was the one who'd taken the gospel into the region of Galatia. And the gospel message that he preached there in Galatia was the same message that he preached everywhere else he went, salvation by faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, this is the message that Paul preached wherever he went. This is the message that they received in Galatia and this is the message that they believed. But then when Paul moved on, as missionaries do, to preach elsewhere, some agitators came into town and they came along and they said, look, it's all very good that you believe in Jesus, but you've only got half the story. Do you realise that Israel are the people of God? And so if you really want to be a child of God, you have to become part of Israel. And therefore you have to be circumcised because circumcision is the sign that you're one of God's children. But Paul wouldn't have a bar of that. We're not to be slaves of the law. In Christ Jesus, we've been set free from slavery to the law. And so Paul comes down really, really hard on these Judaizers, or, or let's call them the circumcision party. You see, 
the very essence of the gospel was at stake here. Jesus said, you don't put new wine into old wineskins. If you do, they'll burst. And that's exactly what the circumcision party were trying to do. They're trying to squeeze this new thing of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. They're trying to squeeze that into the old covenant. And they were saying that grace through faith isn't enough. You also need this old wineskin. You need to keep the law. And, and, and as a starting point, you need to be circumcised. But to Paul, this was all just an outward appearance. It was a physical show. It was a facade of holiness. And the real reason that they were preaching circumcision was because they couldn't handle the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. You see, at this point in history, this new Christianity thing was seen as some kind of rebel heretical sect within Judaism. Uh, and, and the first persecutions that the Christian church suffered came from God's own people, Israel. And as the gospel was being preached, it then extended out into the territory of the Gentiles, right? So it started in, in the territory of, of, of the Jews, extended out into the territory of the Gentiles. And so circumcision for the first time became a real issue for the gospel. You see, before then, the gospel was being preached to the Jews. They were already circumcised. wasn't an issue. But when it started getting preached to the Gentiles, who were not circumcised, it did become an issue. And if the gospel message was saying, we don't need to embrace the old covenantal law, if it removed that which distinctly marked a person as belonging to God, well, that was going to really get the Jews angry. And Paul had been on the receiving end of that anger. Um, actually, he started out on the giving end of that anger. Uh, before Paul became a Christian, and, and we're still known as Saul, as we, most of us would know, he was, used to hunt down Christians to have them killed. It was on one of, those, one of those missions to hunt down Christians where he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he became a Christian. But since that time, he was no longer on the giving end. He was on the receiving end. And we know that at one time, Paul used to oversee stonings. But then there was times when he himself was stoned. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, he says, Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Five times. Now, no wonder in today's reading, he says, I bear on my body the, the marks of Jesus. Because um, we know that, yes, we know Jesus was crucified. We know that there was nail holes in him. We know about the, the piercing of the spear in the side. But he's also lashed. And this is what Paul's saying now. Just as Jesus bears the marks of the scourge, so do I. Five times Paul had been flogged within an inch of his life. He knew what it meant to be persecuted for not keeping the law. But the strange thing is, even those who were pushing for circumcision, they themselves weren't keeping the whole law. Uh, what they were concerned about was the outward appearance. 
they're concerned about having a facade of holiness. And by getting circumcised, they wouldn't get persecuted themselves. They, they wouldn't risk getting the flogging themselves. Throughout the last few weeks, um, we've been coming to, we've come to what I, I consider be, be the core of Galatians. And we've been hearing about the difference between the flesh and the spirit. And I think what we're finding here is another craving of the flesh is to have an appearance of being holy, to have an appearance of being godly without actually undergoing a spiritual transformation. And this gets me wondering about false gospels that get preached today and are often preached today. Uh, they, they have an appearance of being holy, they have an appearance of being godly and even an appearance of being spiritual. But if it's not the true gospel, it's merely a facade. Um, the locals among us, um, most of us will remember Ron Shonfish. Um, he's an elderly gentleman uh, of Brethren Persuasion, um, who's oh, a year or so ago, how long ago? Three years ago, golly, time flies, uh, moved away from St George. But up until that time, um, I consider Ron was, and still is, the greatest evangelist that St George has ever had. And I remember Ron telling me once about a person who, who proudly told Ron one day, I became a Christian at such and such a church, thinking, oh, Ron will be really excited about this. Um, and Ron, knowing the church and the sort of message that was preached there, said to this person, tell me what it meant for you to become a Christian. What was the gospel you received? And I think basically the answer was, oh, I now believe in Jesus, and so Jesus is going to bless me, and I won't get sick, and things are going to go well for me, and I have eternal life. That was pretty much the gospel that he responded to. And then Ron explored with that person the true gospel, to have a conviction of our utterly fallen and sinful state so that we realise that, hey, I'm totally corrupt and I need a saviour. And then he talked about repentance of sin and recognising that Jesus died to set us free from our sins and so we can then confess our sins for forgiveness. And then that the Holy Spirit will now be transforming us to become more and more like Jesus. And how the true gospel has a cost to it. That I die to self and I make Jesus my Lord. And no, that, that person hadn't been told any of those things. Now, I don't know the outcome and I don't know if that person is now walking with the Lord or not. But you see, for Paul, the gospel is unashamedly about the cross of Jesus Christ and how for us to embrace Christ Jesus, we also embrace the cross and how that means that our own death to things of the flesh. In verse 14, he says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ 
by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. You see, there once was a time when belonging to God was signified by circumcision. It was a physical cutting away of physical flesh to mark somebody as belonging to God's people. But circumcision was only ever a symbol. The true spiritual circumcision is to have a circumcised heart. It's a cutting away of the flesh, sure enough, but it's a putting to death of the flesh. And we crucify the flesh and the spirit comes alive. And as I was reading this, it dawned on me, there's really three deaths involved in our salvation and three comings to life. The first death we know well. Every Easter we celebrate it. The death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died to pay the penalty of our sins. But death couldn't hold him down. Jesus is risen and now he reigns in life. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And everybody says, Alleluia. That's a good word. The second death, is as Paul says, he says that by the cross of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the world has been crucified to me. Right? When, when we respond to Jesus, it, it's not just a turning to Jesus, it's a turning away from the world. Why is that necessary? Why do we nail all that this world has to offer? along with its passions and desires. Why do we nail all of that to the cross? It's because, to me, the, the world represents everything that the flesh has to offer me. And if my focus is on things of this life, if my focus is on cravings of the flesh, if my focus is on everything that this world is enticing my fleshly nature with, if my focus is on th those things, I cannot be a disciple of Jesus. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus said some really confronting things. He was talking about counting the cost. And he's talking about whether, whether we're willing to bear the cost of being a disciple of his. And he tells us that, hey, if, if I feel that, that my family is more important to me than, than Jesus is, I cannot be his disciple. Sorry about that, family. He also tells me that if, if I'm not willing to suffer and die for him, I cannot be his disciple. And he says in Luke chapter 14, verse 33, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, when's the last time you heard that at an altar call? When's the last time the evangelist stands up before the crowd and says, don't you dare come to Jesus unless you're willing to count the cost first. Don't you dare come to Jesus if you're looking for an easy life. Don't you dare come to Jesus if you love life 
more than you love Him. Or if your heart is set on physical blessings, don't you dare come to Jesus. See, this is what Paul is talking about when he said that the world has been crucified to me. He counted the cost and with great joy, he embraced what was essentially for him a life of suffering, suffering for his Lord. What an awful, awful corruption of the gospel we often hear in preach today, where the gospel is being presented as a way of enhancing things of the world or a way of prospering in things of the world. When for a true Christian, the world has been crucified for me. I do not seek it. I desire it no longer. Shortly, we're going to sing a beautiful hymn. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. And the third death is the death of self. Because by the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, not only has the world been crucified to me, but I to the world. See, we don't just add a bit of Jesus to our lives to enhance our lives. We die to self. We nail the old man to the cross or the old woman to the cross and we die to be born again in Christ Jesus. Through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, we put to death who we once were. My life was so far gone. I was so corrupt. I was so evil that my life couldn't just be repaired. My life needs to be recreated. And that's why he says that circumcision counts for nothing and, and non-circumcision counts for nothing. What counts is to be a new creation. What, what a wonderful, wonderful message the gospel is. We put to death the flesh that in Christ we might be born again. And so he says in, in verse 16, and as for all who walk by this rule, what rule? I didn't think there's supposed to be rules. Don't we live by grace? What's the rule? It's to put to death the flesh and to be born again in the spirit. When we're back in chapter five, verse 24 says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Right? This is the rule. If I truly belong to Christ Jesus, I have crucified the flesh along with its passions and desires. That doesn't mean that I'm gonna to continue to toy with them. I'm not just repressing them and I'm certainly not looking for ways to satisfy these cravings of the flesh. And I'm not just putting up a facade of holiness so that that's what other people will see and I've still got these cravings of the flesh going on inside of me. Because we belong to Jesus Christ, we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
Verse 16 says, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. There's been a fair bit of ink spilled over what precisely Paul meant by the Israel of God. I think he means all those who are circumcised, not in the flesh, but in the heart. The true circumcision, the true Israel of God, are those who receive his son. It's those who put to death the flesh and walk by the spirit. So in other words, peace and mercy belong to genuine disciples of Jesus who through Christ have crucified the flesh and walked by the Spirit. Peace and mercy. What does the world need more than these? Often the world will be looking for peace, but they don't realise they need mercy. Many people are looking for peace, but, but it eludes them because they search everywhere for peace except for where it's only eternal source, the Prince of Peace. True peace comes only when we experience the mercy of God as we come to the cross of Christ. The final verse of Galatians says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Now, the message is clear. That The message throughout this letter has been clear. It's not by religiously keeping ceremonial laws and customs that we're saved. We fully depend on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that we do not do good works. As the Lord transforms our hearts... We become a new creation. The Holy Spirit is at work in our hearts and our job is to keep in step with the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. Now, my prayer is that throughout this series in Galatians that we've better come to, to understand what it means to walk in the Spirit. You know, I've, um, I've learned a lot in this book of Galatians. I've read it many times before, but this is the first time I've really studied it and it's the first time I've really preached through this book. And I used to just have fixed in my head, okay, it's about the law, it's about circumcision, not really a big issue for us here. But it's only as we've studied it that I've realised how much of it is talking about, we, we know about the fruit of the Spirit, and the works of the flesh. But how much of it is, is addressing about how we walk with the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. And my prayer is that this has been a learning for all of us. It's not about having a show of holiness. It's not about having a facade. It's about becoming the new creation that we're meant to be in Christ Jesus. And if you want to experience that, if you're willing to take the hard, hard road and follow Jesus, 
If you're willing to crucify the flesh so as to live by the Spirit, don't delay. Make that decision today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your life-giving word. Seems a strange turn of phrase that spiritual life comes from crucifying the flesh. But what a wonderful, creative work this is that you do. Lord, forgive us for when we've put up a facade, for when we've tried to establish an appearance of holiness to hide the wickedness and the works of the flesh that come from a corrupt heart. Lord, it is our resolve that through you we might crucify the flesh. The world is crucified to us and we to it. Lord, we submit ourselves to you for that is what it means for you to be our Lord. We not only give you permission as if we need to do that, but we seek this with our whole being, that you would strip away the flesh, that you would strip away our carnal desires, that we would walk by the Spirit to your glory. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.